Welcome to Coaching the Coach. I'm your host, Pete Townley, for the Upstate Performance Project. Hey guys, welcome to the show. Um, you might notice a slight difference in the microphone uh, or the sound. Uh, please excuse that today. Um, I am recording with a different microphone today. My other mic uh, is broken. Um, unfortunately, it was a good mic, a SM57, if you guys know what that is. Um, one of the best mics out there. It has died. But this mic is 20 years old. It has seen a lot of shows, a lot of heavy metal shows and survived, a lot of country shows and survived, and uh, a lot of podcasts and finally died. Um, but that's okay. We are um, using a backup uh, headset today, which is not ideal. I realize it's a little tinny, uh, not necessarily the best uh, sound quality, but today we're going to get through it, and um, that's what we're going to do. Uh, so two quick announcements that I'm jumping right into the actual content today. Uh, real quick announcement. One, um, I, I am so excited to announce we have started filming uh, for our YouTube channel. Uh, we've been talking about it for over six months now um, and just trying to not, not just dial it in and get it right, but trying to really go back and make sure that we, we're doing what we want to do. We wanted something unique. We wanted something informative, but we also wanted something that was going to be entertaining as well. And um, you guys know Chelsea and I, we're not comedians. We're not necessarily entertainers in that sense, but um, we definitely <laughs> want to provide you guys something with uh, content that's entertaining to watch, but also informative. And so we've, we keep revising our idea and not just on what we're saying and what it looks like visually, but like how to deliver things. And uh, at the end of the day, um, it's taken a little while for us to come up with a concept that we both really like and are on board with, and we have started filming. So um, we aim to put out an episode um, to start with once a week. Uh, it might evolve into more than that, um, but probably once a week will be uh, what we're looking at. Uh, so stay tuned for that. Filming is underway. Now, that being said, um, the uh, the podcast, um, this is episode 99, which means 100 episodes is next. Uh, we're going to ramp up our production again, uh, getting back to hopefully two a week instead of one a week um, over the last few months or the last few weeks, that is. And I am more than excited to... Um, to get back on, on pace with this uh, podcast, along with all the additional stuff we've been talking about. So uh, this, um, well, I'll say this one and and our, um, well, this might be the last one you hear in this format. Um, we're, we've, we've gotten our production up, up to snuff where we want it to be, um, and uh, so now we're excited to kind of take a leap forward. And uh, it's actually been ready for a little while now, but I've kind of been excited to get to episode 100, and um, and this is 99, so uh, big things are coming. Uh, I'm excited. So that being said, uh, let's jump right into today's content. I've got two things for you today. One, we're continuing our program design discussion, and uh, I have to admit, um, I have a little <clears throat> a little bit of a retraction 
from last time, uh, not much in the terms of um, content, believe everything was fine. But in my in my title, I mentioned this was the last little bit of information before we actually jump into um, uh, you know why why we jump into uh, or before we jump into the actual programming of a program. And as I mentioned, the the YouTube channel is going to be more uh, of a of a informational area, and this the podcast will be kind of accompanying that one from the program perspective, program design perspective. But over the next probably three or four um, episodes, episode one hundred one, one hundred two, and one hundred three, we'll say, uh, are going to talk about program design, um, and I'm going to take a particular sport, and we're going to go through it. Um, and tell you how we program it, why we program a certain way. And that'll be an intro, a uh, very good intro to what the YouTube channel will be like uh, from a content perspective. Today, though, there is one final thing I think we should look at. And, um, and I think it's an important one to distinguish between because it's something that has um, affected us all when we're trying to design programs and and if you recall that this, this last these last few episodes have been about um, online program design you know program design or when you're designing things uh, for your people that you see in person it's a little different they may never actually see your spreadsheet they may never actually see how it is that you record things how you track things all of that sort of stuff they may never even realize that you do all of that uh, and they may not care. Um, but it's so different when you're training someone online and you have to make sure that they understand everything that you're trying to tell them. So um, I mentioned a few months ago or a few weeks ago that, that uh, you know, I want to give you guys updates. I've been doing some specific things to get online clients. And so one of the things I did um, back then when, when I mentioned this was I put out an ad. I just said uh, on, on my... Um, uh, Instagram. I said, you know, enter now to, to win a, uh, a free month of online personal training. And that was two months ago. Yeah, two months ago. So I have successfully, we got three people off of that. Um, and I, I selected three. Um, there were several people that entered in and, you know, I don't want to, I didn't want to just take everybody because I wanted the spirit of the competition to actually be competitive. But um, I had three that responded within probably five minutes. They're all very, very close um, and all with very, very different demands, um, different needs. So um, I, I chose the, the three out of the, the several that, that responded because I think they're going to turn into some really good clients from a perspective of I can relate some stories uh, training online with, with all three of these uh, individuals. Um, I've also picked up two additional uh, online clients since then, and the programming is going really well in terms of our three, three additional pro, uh, um, clients. And they're all going well with getting the workouts to them uh, using the system and the model that, that Chelsea and I have come up with uh, seems to be going well, seems to be delivering uh, well. And so we'll give you feedback on how they're doing. But I brought all of that up to say, when we design our programs, as, as you've heard me say over the last couple of podcasts, 
having something that is easily understood but very um, clear. So, uh, but very um, complete. That's the that's the word I meant to say. When we're designing something, and in this case, an online package, something to deliver to our clients that they can open up, whether it's via an app or a spreadsheet or whatever. I don't know that there's necessarily one thing that um, is the best delivery method. In other words, everyone's different. Everyone's an individual. That, now, that doesn't mean you need to have 20 different ways to deliver your online programming. That that will get too crazy. And, you know, with two or three clients, yes, but you get into several clients, um, it's going to be a, a nightmare to try to keep up with that. And I certainly wouldn't recommend it. Um, so you need to find something that works for you that is pretty adaptable, you know, to, you know, different people's learning styles and, you know, whether they're more visual, they want to see a video or if they can just read it and get it. Um, or if they like talking, I have one client that, that prefers me just to send video messages. So, and if you read our online programming packages, one of them reads, uh, well, a couple of them will read, say that we, we do online consultations once a week. We set up weekly check-ins. And by and large, I really like those personally. Um, and I, I kind of make them mandatory the first, you know, two or three months, um, you know, that we do the weekly check-ins. Um, but after they've been in the system for probably about two months to three months, um, I kind of give them the option at that point. Not that I don't want to keep up, but I have new clients that I definitely need to keep up with. And so the idea is I want to make sure that I have a system um, that allows them to still get that one-on-one -on -one attention. And, and I let them kind of dictate to me what it is that has worked for them. And so some, some clients like me to just do a quick video once a week. Here's what's coming up this week. This is what we're doing. This is what you need to pay attention to blah, 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 blah. Some still like the old once a week, let's meet. And some say, you know what, just give it to me. I totally understand your programming and your terminology. I'm motivated. It's working. Let's just go. Just give me the program. And again, after a certain time frame, if I feel the, the client's ready, that's what we do. And I'm totally fine with that. But here's the thing that I want to talk about today uh, is you have so many products out there that are competing for your client's attention, whether it be an app or a spreadsheet. Now, there's a lot of ads out there right now that say, are you still using spreadsheets? Are you still using email, you know, to communicate with your client? And, you know, I can say that I'm kind of doing both. I have a mobile site um, that people can use on their phone, very much like an app, but it does link them to a, uh, a spreadsheet that's they can edit and I can see in real time and, and it, it works really well for me and my clients. But so I don't take offense to that. But what I say to that is I could answer very confidently. Yes, I still am using spreadsheets and I love it and it works really well. <laughs> so just because something has been done for a while and there may be new ways of, of getting it out there doesn't mean it's always the best. Now, again, that's not me being the old guy who's resistant to change. That's just me knowing what works for me and my clients. Now, we are working on developing an app. Um, it's 
it's a slow process. We have a, a, a developer who's um, very busy with some other really important things right now, important things in his his career. So we're not uh, we're not pushing uh, for that right now. But right now we're good with our mobile site, and, and uh, that's working for us. And so once once um, or at some point we might have have a full app. But really, it's about finding what works for your clients and looking at the data. So I go back to this, and I've said this so many times, using data and, and, and self-evaluating and looking back at what's worked and what hasn't worked. And your program design methods and delivery methods should be no different. So we talked over the last couple podcasts about how when the, if the program isn't clear and isn't designed properly from a delivery standpoint, not the program itself, but from the delivery standpoint, people can misinterpret and therefore follow the problem, the program differently than what you would have wanted them to, and then they may not get the results that you want them to. All not good, right? All bad. So the thought is having a system that's designed that looks good, that's functional, that's clear and concise, but also complete, as I said earlier, is, is what we're all after. And one of the, not flaws, but one of the challenges that we, we run into is this desire to keep up, to keep up with the Joneses. Oh, this, this company has an app. I got to have an app. Oh, this company has, um, you know, a, uh, a call-in center. We got to do a call-in center. Oh, this company keeps their gym open 24 hours. I got to do that with mine. All, none of those are bad. And, and if that's what the company wants to do, good. I'm not, I'm not saying that any of that stuff is bad or that trying to keep up with one another is not a bad thing there's certainly a competitive edge to it. You know, if everyone, you know, gets on someone else's program, that's a decent program and a good delivery system. Why would they even jump over to yours? You've got to offer something bigger, flashier, whatever to get their attention. And from a marketing perspective, I do understand that. But what I'm trying to get across today is there are some things that historically have been designed over time that have um, looked different in, in, in different iterations, um, but have slowly evolved over time. And what you have now, maybe the last few years, things haven't changed much because of proven um, methods. So let's, let's take, for example, the keyboard on your computer. The keyboard on your computer, the uh, Q-W-E-R-T-Y setup. There, there are different versions of keyboards where it's just A, B, C, D, you know, all the way across the board. There are different iterations where um, you have vowels over here, consonants. Or th there's different iterations. What made the most sense? And from a keyboard perspective, I don't know the exact answer, but the thought is there. it's been that way for a long time because they found over time that that was the best way for whatever the reason may be. There are certain things that are designed that, you know, have changed a lot over time. They're constantly evolving because we keep getting data back. But if you take, say, for example, cars, okay, cars evolve at such a rapid rate. And you would think that, oh, the new model, the new, uh, I drive a, an Elantra, the new Elantra is out. And I love my Elantra now. So the new Elantra has got to be better, right? Well, not necessarily. I mean, it may be. But it's because their competitor, the, the say the Accord or the Civic, um, 
you know, has a new feature. Well, Hyundai's got to get that feature in their car. And then they, they up it one. And then Honda's got to come back. Oh, they, they up it with the rear-facing, you know, backup camera. Oh, so that's standard in all their base models now. And then boom, boom, boom. They keep throwing all these accessories. And it happens so quickly that every year there's a new addition, right? There's a, the latest and greatest. And some of these things are based upon market research. Uh, like, for example, you know, if they revise how the seatbelt is, uh, clicks or fastens or is, you know, adhered to the, not adhered, uh, how it, how far back it starts uh, on the side panel or, you know, all these little design things, those things may change. Those subtle details may change because they realize in car accidents in Elantra's, it was causing, you know, neck strains because the seatbelt was too high or something. So they make those adjustments based on the data they get back. And those adjustments kind of, you know, if that comes out every year, that's fine. But that's not something that they're necessarily advertising. That's not what you're going to see on the TV. They're not going to tell you they made all these other adjustments based on data they got back, you know, that was good and or bad um, from the from the previous iteration. But they will advertise, oh, we now have a, you know, the backup camera and we have seat warmers and all these other fun amenities because people are trying to keep up with the Joneses. Well, let's say now if you have seat warmers in your car, they are quite nice. And I was actually talking with a client about this the other day. Until you've driven in a car with seat warmers, you don't know how great they are. But anyhow, the the uh, the thought being you know, if that comes out and like, oh, everyone's got to have seat warmers and they go and they throw it in there and then they realize that that actually is bad for your circulation or bad for your health. I'm, I'm making this up, but my point being, everything, some, gosh, everything sometimes, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> uh, at times, we are in a hurry to get our the next big thing out. That, and we're trying to keep up with the latest and greatest trends that are out there. And unfortunately, our rush to get something slick and fancy that, that looks slick and fancy that catches people's eyes, it, it, it hasn't taken time to, you know, gestate over several years or, or months or whatever the, the lifespan of this product is to really see what is working and what isn't working. And the slow development of a pro, pro, product um, in this market world today is just, it's, it can be, you know, life or death. And I understand that. However, I, I will stand by the statement that if you take your time with something and you get it out there and you see how it's working and you make subtle adjustments over time, that's going to be the best thing for you. Take Facebook or Instagram or, or almost any app that's out there right now. If you go on your um, updates and if you update regularly, which you should, um, if you update those apps regularly, you'll see most of the time when you look at what the new update is, it's a weekly scheduled update that just says bug fixes and improvements because they know that they're going to, they're going to get a new version out right away. Boom. As soon as they can, boom, get it out there. And if they have to make little tweaks along the way, they can't, they can rather than having one system that runs for a year. And then they're like, okay, now we got to go back and fix these and we update it once a year. They're just making continual small little, most of the adjustments you'll never even notice or see or care about. 
but it's slowly improving the process over time. It's letting the data and letting letting um, just time tell what is the best feature. What's you know what if people are never opening this particular filter, let's get rid of that filter and add a new one. Let's you know they they use this data over time. And so you've heard me say before, if you have an idea, get it out there. You can beta test it. You can do some you know preliminary tests, but get it out there and then make tweaks over time. It will be better than waiting until it's perfect because A, it'll never be perfect, at least not in your eyes, right? And as I said before, you run the risk of someone else beating you to the punch, which, you know, not to say that you can't release it as well, but I'll be honest, it does take the wind out of your sails a lot. And a lot of times people then just give up on that idea when they may have had a unique, you know, spin on things. So get the product out there and make some slow adjustments over time. Let the market tell you what where it needs to go and what improvements need to be made. And uh, if you have a new idea, you can always tweak it and just update your program as you go. And that's, that's kind of what I do with my online. Um, you know, I started out by using just Google Sheets, like, um, like, like most people, just using the spreadsheets because they were shared, it was easy. Most people had a Google Drive, they could open it up, we could share it, it was great. And by and large, I still use that, but I now link it through an app and, and, and a mobile site. And the reason I do that is because the mobile site allows me to add in a lot of other data that I couldn't, well, I could deliver, but it was extra work. So for example, um, I sent a video to uh, one of my new clients, or I sent a series of videos to one of my new clients the other day um, about their program. And rather than try to film that program and send it, which is what I used to do, um, so I, I would write someone's program and then I would film myself or someone doing those exercises in that sequence so that the, the client could see it in real time. That became very labor intensive. So now I, I do a better job of explaining how the sequence goes. You know, you do, if it's a circuit, you do A1 first and A2, A3, then go back to A1 and adhering to the rest intervals and things like that. But rather than doing that, what made it a lot easier is you have an exercise bank of, of videos. So I can just link them to those videos and I don't have to recreate sets. Um, and I can even link those videos together um, it may not flow in one full video, but at the same time, I'll do a better job of explaining that up front rather than showing because over time, when I got too many online clients, not too many, but you know, when I got a lot of online clients and in-person clients, I didn't have time to film people's entire workouts and send them to them. Plus, that takes up a lot of data, a lot of you know bandwidth. And so the the website or the mobile site became the better option. And now I can store all of that on there so people can just access that. And I can just link them to, if you don't know what a Romanian deadlift is, click this link and it, and it takes you right to it. And that's, again, for me and my clients, very helpful. So we, again, we, we, we work against this, this evolution right of of programming and, and and you guys have heard me quote from the book uh by donald norman uh the design of everyday things um and he talks in that book about these forces that are 
you know, pushing us. And that is the, you know, the, the keeping up with the Joneses, so to speak. And that, you know, we're trying to push new, greatest, latest and greatest things that are flashy, but may not provide anything different. So taking one, one step back and looking at what's out there right now, for your online clients, what, what are they competing against? There are a lot of apps out there that will do the programming for you. So you go in there and you say, I want to build muscle. I'm a 42-year-old guy and I want to lose a little bit of body fat. And you put that in there and then it, it, it spits out, okay, this is the program that we've designed for you. Or they may just have some preset programs. This is a strength building. This is hypertrophy. This is endurance or whatever. You select your program. And, and it gives it to you. Then there's exercises um, and it can, uh, you know, talk you through how to do it. And then the app has a lot of other cool features like it monitors heart rate. It tracks volume, like how much weight in, in total volume did you lift? And, you know, it tracks that. And, you know, it does some neat things. But are you going to use that? Are your, user, are your clients going to use those options? And, and, and why would they need to know those options? I'm not saying they don't need to know it, but you need to understand it. Or pardon me, they need to understand it. And they, they need to know that you understand it and that you're going to use that data. Otherwise, it's just, it's flashy. And so there's a lot of programs out there right now, a lot of apps that just offer these things that are don't, don't really add any value to the program they're getting. Because like, like I said before, most people will skip right to the program. They might watch a video if they've never heard of the exercise, but that's about it, right? And and so that's not ensuring that it's going to be done properly. So because it looks flashy and it's got all the bells and whistles and it can do a hundred different features, doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be more effective than a good old-fashioned spreadsheet that spells it all out for you. Again, neither way am I claiming is better than the other. What I'm claiming is there's a way that your style of teaching and your style of programming, there probably is a way that works best for you in communicating your ideas to your clients. But so long as they understand what it is that you're trying to do and it's clear and when they look at it, they, when they get their spreadsheet or when they get their mobile site or they get you know whatever it is, however you deliver it to them, if they can look at it and understand right away what to do, that's when you know you've done a good job. And obviously, the check-ins and the the you know you you being on top of things with your clients will help iron out any any inconsistencies or any misunderstandings, of course. But at the same time, the program design layout should be pretty intuitive, and don't necessarily worry about making sure your program looks amazing. And has every bell and whistle right off the bat. If you want to add those things because you feel they're necessary, then great. Add them in slowly, but get the product out there and let the market tell you. Let the data tell you what you need to improve on, where you need to go. Or if you have some ideas, but you're like, that's going to take me a little while to program or get going, but the rest of it's ready, get the rest of it out there. And then, you know, you have update 1.1, 1.2, version 2.0, 2.1, 2.0, so on and so forth. So again, what you want to make sure is that if you have an innovation or if you have an upgrade or an update to your program delivery system, is that it enhances the program 
itself. In other words, it makes either the user experience better and more clear and understanding, or it actually helps deliver the program better. Because the program itself should be no problem. That should be the easy part. And again, we're talking online programming here. That should be the easy part, right? We should all know what to do and how to get those programs out there. That's what we do for a living, right? That's not always the case. So we need to make sure that uh, that's taken care of. Then how we deliver it needs to represent that as best you can. Um, and again, you may not, you may think that, or you may feel like going to a design, um, uh, what am I trying to say? Like, um, I'm trying to think of a good example. Um, like a, an app like Train Heroic, which is a great app. By no means am I disparaging that app. But you might say, you know what? That's effective for me. That has all the ideas that I want to get out to my clients. So that's going to be the way I keep track. It's, it's easy for me because everyone can be there. There's already a whole bunch of exercises on that database. I don't have to add anything. It's ready to go. Why spend all that time developing it myself when it's already done? I just have to pay for the service and I'm ready to go. And, that, and there's nothing wrong with that. And, and to be honest, I know a lot of people that have used that or other apps that are similar. True Coach is another one that are great and have had great success with their online clients that way. I, I think that there's a few things that those programs can't do. And so you are forced to kind of work around that or communicate in other ways. So you've got that app and then there's texting and then there's other things. And that's fine too. But I have found a system where I can do all of that stuff in one location and that works for me so finding what works for you and, and how you get your information out the best is ultimately going to be the best design so don't feel like you have to develop an app or don't feel like y your program's not going to be effective if you don't have an app or a mobile site you have to have this or that it's it's what's going to be effective for you to get your message out there and you know, don't, again, fall into just the aesthetics. That's, <sighs> that's the, that's the big thing is that you, um, it can look flashy. It can look great. Um, but it may not be effective and it can be very effective program, but super clunky and awkward to use. Both are going to be ineffective. So, Flash and making it look slick are great as long as it's still user-friendly and they can operate it without, you know, knowing how to code or, or anything like that. So those are the things that you need to, to think about when you're looking at the aesthetics of your program or design, your delivery method. Um, you know, I, I certainly think your logo, color scheme, you know, anything like that is, is definitely... Um, uh, a, a must. So I have uh, right now my mobile site is you know definitely has our color scheme, has our logos, all of that stuff. The one thing it does not have, which I'm working on, I, I'm pretty close. I think I know what to do, but I'm not I'm not done I'm not done enough yet to to make the switch. But it doesn't match our website graphics. And that's, that's one thing I want it to do. 
and, I, and that's because I'm using two different platforms right now. Okay, so I know if I move the online mobile site to this platform, I should be able to fix that. I don't know if I know how to code well enough to do that to make sure I can make the switch and have all the functionality that I currently have. So for now, I'm making sure that the colors and the uh, the logos and everything that you see when you open up our mobile site, you know, you can definitely tell it's us. It's not an, uh, another gym with the same color scheme and a similar logo that you definitely know it's Upstate Performance Project, but it doesn't look exactly like our website in terms of how it scrolls, how you flip from page to page. And I do want that. That's something I'm working towards. Um, but again, I, I didn't want to wait until I understood that before I started doing online programming. So I did what I knew how to do and I could get out there. But that's one of those updates that will eventually happen. And it will look better and it won't affect the functionality. Right now, I think it would affect the functionality even if it would look better because I don't think I would be able to pull off all of the functions that I can currently do. I know it's possible. I personally don't know how to do it yet, but I'm going, I'm going to learn it, right? And so the other thing you have to remember when you are designing things, and I think I said this on the last podcast, but I'm going to reiterate it just in case I didn't say it. You have to assume your, well, put yourself in your user's shoes, right? The, one of the reasons I don't like some of these programs or, or there's, a, there's a couple companies out there that will build it for you. You give them some basic information and they build an app or a mobile site for you. And again, that's a great service. The one thing I have found, and, and maybe I'm a control freak, but again, it's my product, right? I want it to do what I want it to do. I've had a hard time, you know, like explaining exactly how I want my program to look and feel and then them giving me something back that I want. I've had some conversations with, um, let me give you a perfect example of what I mean. This isn't exactly from a, um, th this goes to our, our kind of big picture project that we're working on. So this is a little insight, little bonus feature here. I'm a little sneak peek into our future. Um, but when we affiliate and we, we, we bring on other gyms into our, into our league, um, we are going to do that in a certain way. And so I was talking with a business uh, friend of mine who, who I do look up to for business advice. I was trying to describe to him the scalability and how we're going to scale. And, and, and um, so he was looking at it from a franchise model and I was trying to explain to him that that's not the model we're using, it's gonna be this. And so he said, okay, so he was trying to run a bunch of numbers. It's like, so your person, your, your affiliate gym owner is gonna need X amount of dollars to get startup to be able to do it. And I'm like, no, it scales this way and does this and does that. And again, I was describing to him the vision that I had because what he was describing was how it's traditionally done. And there's nothing wrong with that traditional model. It, it, it has proven to, to work. But that doesn't mean that the ideas that Chelsea and I have for our growth aren't going to work. And I think 
that some of our ideas that we have are going to solve some of the problems in the current model. So trying to describe it to him and then him give me a affiliate model plan or a franchising plan to help build our, 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 uh, our gym network and our league, it, it, it wasn't going well. Um, it, just because he didn't quite understand. And again, there's nothing against him. He just didn't understand why I would want to do it the way I'm asking to do it. Because in his mind, you're going to make way more money doing it this way. The buy-in up front is bigger this way and this and that. And I understand that. You know, and then it, it led to a whole bunch of other questions. Well, but you're going to run into this problem, this problem. I said, like, well, I'm addressing it from these different angles. So I have all of those questions, all of those uh, potential hurdles already covered. And here's what. So, again, the point of this story is we were going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And I understood or I came to realize that he didn't understand my vision. He didn't understand that my idea maybe starting slower than what he would have recommended. He had an idea or was using a more traditional approach that would have started our growth uh, with a little bit bigger bang. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I'm not saying his suggestions weren't great and couldn't work. But I didn't want to do it for a certain set of reasons. I wanted to do it the way we're going to do it. And... I think he understood at the end. I think we came to a, a degree, uh, 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 an understanding. But the point I'm making is when we went to do this, um, or if I went to go to do this with, a, say, an app developer, and I'm trying to give my ideas of everything that I want, that developer, they may not be the typical user. Uh, Norman describes this like, they're, they may be into the coding world and they can, you tell them you want to embed a video, they can do that. You tell them you want to click here and this happens, they can make that happen. But it's, it's not as intuitive to them because they may not be users of that kind of program. They're computer engineers, not necessarily strength coaches, or, um, you know, they may not care. It's foreign to them, potentially, to you know, this information, how it's delivered may not make sense to them one way or the other because that's not their world. Um, and, and that's not all coders. That's not what I mean. I just mean, you know, designers in general may not be the best users. And so you have to think of these things. Be devil's advocate. Look at different angles while you're designing it. How would someone who's never done this before view this? And that's where beta testing can come into play. And that's where, you know, you as a designer in this scenario have to understand, you know, design it as if you would want it. If you were a complete beginner, what would you need in that system? And how would it should it be laid out? And that's a good way to approach. Or at least once you've got an idea, go back and look at it through that lens. I think would be a very, very good idea. Okay, so there, there are a whole host of other things that we can get into, and, um, and I think that from a, from a general perspective, the, one, the last thing I'll say about just general um, design of your delivery system uh, before we get into the actual nuts and bolts 
Oh, my coffee went cold. That's not good. Um, I'm going to zap that in the old microwave. Uh, before we get into all that, the last thing I think you, I should say um, that I would be remiss if I didn't say is that everyone, you're, you're always going to run into things that are non-traditional um, or something's going to be a little different. You're going to have a, a client or situation that may not fit your general model. So you have to have you know, contingencies for special populations. Um, and, and that's okay. That's a case by case basis. So try not to worry too much about that right off the bat. And, and just know that if you have to veer away from your delivery system, or you have to do it differently for one person here or there based on a certain scenario, that's okay. But you can't and try to include everything for every possible scenario in your program right off the bat. It's going to be too much and it's going to be clunky and confusing to the general user. And by and large, we put way too many bells and whistles that are unnecessary to get the job done right off the bat. So be conscious of that. That's something that you really want to focus on or think about when putting together your program. Okay. Switching gears a little bit, um, I have some news. So we haven't talked uh, exercise science news in a while, and I want to make sure that I uh, keep going with that. Um, very interesting article came out this month, um, something that I have been interested in since uh, my teaching days back, back at Ottawa University. When I was at Ottawa, we had a... Um, a data collection unit called iWorks. And iWorks was a, um, a general um, God, oh, I, data processing uh, computer, very small, that you could hook different leads and different um, uh, sensors up to that would collect certain things like heart rate or blood pressure. It could... Um, send signals through your uh, ECGs through your body and get a, um, an echocardiograph uh, readout. I mean, it could do lots of cool things. And there, there were many other things, muscle contraction, EMGs, and things like that. So we would use it. Um, I, it, was in, it was actually housed in the um, biology department. They're the ones that bought it. We had, oh, maybe five or six units. And they were expensive. They were about four grand a unit. So it was pretty cool that we had them. And I started, when I started teaching exercise science, I started bringing that over because we had, um, we had dart fish that are, um, that we use for the kinesiology class. Um, but, and, and dart fish was great. Uh, no, but this also allowed us, this iWorks also allowed us to do a lot of, um, physiology stuff as well at the same time we were looking at motion analysis or, or movement and so I, I would bring it into our ex exercise physiology lab that I taught quite often and one of the things that was really neat about it um, was I could tell when like say someone was squatting I could tell when all of their muscles were fully engaged. So, you know, that helped us, you know, with squat depth. It helped us learn uh, that squat depth is important. And what was 
being trained, what was being activated at different ranges of motions and things like that. So it gets you to start thinking about, um, man, if I had a sensor, if I had something that I could measure, you know, this in real time, and I don't have to have my athlete hooked up to all these different leads uh, while they're squatting, it would, I could use this in real time. And I could know that someone didn't squat to depth just by looking at this sensor. And I could say, hey, you know, Joey, get lower or whatever. If I'm not visually looking at them, right? If I'm over somewhere else, a, you know, a buzzer goes off or there's some kind of signal, right? And, and so it's in real time and you can make adjustments rather than going back and saying, okay, how did this session go? So the next session, we make the changes. We can make changes quicker and be more effective in our coaching. Well, that was several years ago, almost 10 years ago now, um, and technology is there, right? So we have these things that measure velocity, like bar speed, um, and they're usually force plate type, you know, sensors that, that can measure, uh, you know, how fast the contraction is, what, what, what the, the rate of uh, contraction is in your muscles, depending on what lift we're doing. And you can actually measure the speed of the concentric contraction. And that, that tells us a lot about how much force we can develop and how strong the force is and, you know, rate coding and all these other different parameters that go into it. But the practicality of it is we would want to be able to use that in real time. In other words, we know that when fatigue sets in, your, your contracting rate or your your uh, um, contraction or concentric velocity goes down, right? We're just fatigued. We can't, you know, fire as hard and fast as we would want to. So the, the idea would be if I'm, if I'm prescribing a certain load and I know that this athlete on a particular day or this athlete because their particular genetics are a certain way or their fiber types are a certain way or they're just fatigued or their, you know, um, their body structure is different, whatever the case is, because we know everyone's different. They might perform uh, well within a certain rep range or, or load range, you know, that's predicted based off of, you know, a percentage, which we normally like to use. Um, or you can use or you can think about, okay, if this person is fatiguing, today sooner than they normally do do we lighten the load or if they're just cruising if they're if their um velocity if they're exceeding their velocity range in other words you put on something that's 85 percent you might think there's going to be a certain speed at which they can move that bar and then they fly it flies up like oh man you've got some power today let's push it a little more today instead of going 85 percent maybe we go 86 percent or seven percent so, like I said, you, you can you can adjust based on the load, um, or based on the velocity. Pardon me, not just sticking to a certain percentage. So the the thought is, in this study that was presented, um, they they looked at that, and so first of all, they they had two separate groups that went, um, and it was very small sample size, but uh, they went uh, two separate groups. Some just trained on a, on a basic percentage, you know, progression over six weeks, I believe it was, six to eight weeks. 
uh, and then they had one using this this variability uh, or velocity change. So they would either increase or decrease the the load based on the contractions that they were getting, the concentric contractions they were getting. Now, this was dependent on the athlete being able to maximally contract on every rep. So you have to teach them how to be able to do that first. And now this is something that really drew, grabbed my attention a few years ago. Um, you know, I, I'm a Jayhawk, KU. KU uses a lot of this in their weight room. Um, and KU's always been kind of on the cutting edge of, of exercise science and things like that. So this is something that I've been kind of keeping my eye on for several years. Um, and the research gets better and better. And it's just really exciting for me. But the tie-in to the old, you guys know that I teach a class called um, Odd Lift Saturday where we look at some old-time strongman stuff. And I really love to pull those ideas into our current training methodology and to see why these fell out of favor, when can we add them back in, this and that, all of those different things. And what this goes to say, hang on, let me take a step. This harkens back to some methods that I believe were attributed to Professor Attila. Don't fry me on that if, if there was someone before him that, that came up with this. But that's the earliest I could find um, that Sandow and Pandor and some of these other guys would use these maximal contractions, almost basically just isometrics with a little bit of movement. Um, so, uh, you know, time under tension, all of these, all of these theories that we know now have been tested. These guys were using back then. They would, they would do curls with light weights and they would maximally contract or they would just flex and hold an isometric, but they would hold it in different positions. So they would strengthen and they would contract in different ranges of motion, but maybe may a static contraction or isometric. So this is a system back then it was based on a maximal muscle contraction it built a dense thick muscle that was very um excitable in other words they could contract it very quickly and fully and get a maximal contraction which is why a lot of them could lift a lot a lot of weight even if they didn't train with super heavy weights now not to say that they didn't train with heavy weights but they got they they built really powerful, strong physiques because they were able to contract all of their muscles or more percentage of their total muscle uh, density uh, than, you know, other methods. So this thought now, bringing it into the future now, <laughs> if we're measuring, you know, this, uh, this velocity, this contractile velocity, it, it requires the athlete to contract maximally which they should be doing anyways, right? But we don't know that they always are. And But this is a way now that we can kind of see if they are and we can teach them that. And that's something that, that I think would really benefit a lot of athletes from a mind-muscle connection standpoint, if nothing else. But if we get them to contract maximally and they, they um, push through this uh, rep range and we notice that their speeds are slowing down, we can adjust real time, in real time, their load. So maybe they go up a little bit, maybe they go down a little bit um, based on how fast they're going. So we can make micro adjustments to their program. 
So what did the study find? Well, it found that both protocols, whether it just be percentage-based or the velocity-based, uh, they found both increased strength, both increased um, counter-movement uh, jumps for, for height. Uh, so they both were effective in, in, in training the athlete and getting positive results. But they saw a little bit better results with the um, variable speed or velocity uh, from the uh, concentric contractions. And so that, again, there's more research that needs to be done. This was a small sample size. It was done with trained athletes. And I think that's the biggest um, thing that you have to keep in mind here is that these athletes, when you tell them to contract their muscles fully or, or 100%, they usually have a lot of good muscle uh, tone and they can do that. That's something that they're that's not a foreign concept to them. They already have pretty good coordination and mind-muscle connection, so it's not a whole concept. So who knows how different the results would be if, if you used untrained subjects. But it gives us some insight, more insight to, and more validity and, and more um, positive direction that using this velocity training can really help us in the actual session, in real time, make the proper adjustments and the, the exact load adjustments that would be needed so that in a given week's time, um, you could really make sure that they were making progress. It's, it's similar to using the heart rate variability. This is something that just a few years ago was not a foreign concept to most, but for, I'd say for the mass, vast majority of people, even in the fitness world, heart rate variability wasn't something people were that uh, uh, tuned into. Now it's in every watch and every smart device that you have, you know, giving you some recovery feedback, which I think is great. Now, is it that applicable? It depends on what you're using it for, and it depends on if you're using it correctly, of course. It started out, or, you know, the, those the research in there started with the elite level people, and they found that training at high, high you know, intensities or whatever on a day where they haven't recovered well may not be the best option. They can still train that day, but they adjust their training based on how well they were recovered. Now, if we can add to that adjusting their volume set by set based on how, or maybe even within the set, now that may be getting a little too tricky, but set by set uh, based on how fast their muscles are contracting, we'll know, quit, we'll know about... Um, how close they are to actually fatiguing. And we can get them to that, that state. We can, get, we can push them to that edge so that even the relative intensities are always at the right speed. It's not like, oh, this is a seven, this is a seven, this is a seven. All of a sudden, the last said, oh, it's a nine. You know, we'll keep them at sevens. But we do that by adjusting uh, the load. It's very similar to um, when we would test people with an isokinetic machine. So we, we, keep, we set the speed at which the, the, the resistance is set, and so they contract at different strengths, but the speed stays the same. So we're, what we're trying to do is keep a, a, a consistent output or consistent um, uh, resistance output. And, and the thought is you combine that with heart rate variability and all these other, other things. We're trying to hone in to get the athlete or the trainee uh, 
the best possible conditions and the best possible advice in real time to make the best possible gains. Now, the practicality of this to the average gym goer, it may or may not have a lot of carryover uh, because you have to have the right equipment to measure that. And then you have to know what to do and have someone, you know, do that for you. But there again, a few years ago, we looked at heart rate variability and that was done in labs or that was done with special equipment, uh, sweet studies or things like that. Now we can wear a little wrist strap and, and get, you know, pretty close. It may not be as accurate as in the lab, but there might be something that, that we can do, you know, without hooking us up to leads. Now, caution, one thing is that there are some there is some technology out there that i've seen um i don't know how to pronounce it so i'm not going to even try but there is a new uh workout regimen and it's similar to orange theory which you know does heart rate um zones target zones to to keep you you know working out the right intensity but there's some new ones that have you that actually have leads hooked up to your body and they actually you actually wear a face mask that you know, it's basically like a, um, you know, a VO2 max test or a calorimeter that's, you know, measuring, you know, carbon dioxide output and, you know, how much your ventilation, how much you're pulling in per breath. And it's calculating things like that. Now, I don't know about you. I'm not saying that science doesn't work. And I'm not saying that you can't get a good workout that way, but it's, it's not as practical. I don't want all that junk on me when I'm working out. So again, is it a neat concept for a class? Yes, but you go back to this whole design thing we were talking about earlier. It may it may work, but it's not necessarily the most practical or, you know, useful for everybody. So, anyhow, hope you found that interesting. Um, let me know if you have any questions, and uh, we'll talk to you soon.